What's up, cigar friends? Today, we are chatting with one of the most influential and under-the-radar voices in the cigar industry. Editor of Tobacco Business Magazine, founder and editor of Cigars and Leisure Magazine, and host of Deep Cuts Live, Antoine Reed. Since October of 2014, Antoine's articles in Cigars and Leisure and in Tobacco Business regularly feature the amazing humans behind the cigars we love. In June of 2020, Antoine used his national platform for groundbreaking cultural representation, becoming the first to publish a Black-owned cigar brands list in a national magazine. Welcome to the Cigar Navarre podcast. I'm your host, Carl Brown, and today, Antoine Reed talks with us about starting a cigar magazine, representation in the cigar community, the power of telling your authentic story, and a few cigars he loves. Light one up with us and enjoy episode five, Antoine Reed. Antoine Reed, thanks for joining us today on the Cigar Navarre podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. So uh, I learned about you not too long ago, which I feel like is weird because I've read your work for a long time. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's part of the conversation that I'm interested in today. And, and I think it's, I love your work, first off. I think that what you did with your with your interview with Mr. Herklotz was really unique, and I appreciate that. I think think that's the industry needs more. (laughs) Uh, I feel like a lot of the time, the cigar press and the cigar media is really narrowly focused on the stuff and not so much on the humans. All right. you know, and, and none of this stuff happens without people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciate you for doing that work. And, and that's a big Thank part you. of what I'm going for today. Well, he has a lot to do with it. So he, you know, whenever I write a story, I always, you know, I learned this from Oprah, but I ask the, the person who the story is about, it's like, what do you want out of this story? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not my story. So it's always their story that they're telling and they're sharing. So depending on who you speak to, you know, somebody might want to focus more on the products and other people want to focus more on, you know, who they are. So with Michael Herklotz, it was, you know, he was um, celebrating 20 years in the business and he wanted to kind of tell that story. And so I was more than happy to share that story and help, you know, shape the questions and everything to make sure that we, that was the type of story that we're going to tell through tobacco business. And that's a big story. I think a lot of people don't know where you came from, kind of how you got to be where you are uh, with with the magazines, both of them. And and I love to hear entrepreneurial stories. And I think that most of the people that are listening and watching this like hear entrepreneurial stories, otherwise they get real bored with me. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about kind of how how did this happen? Because you weren't always a cigar guy either. No. I um I'm trying to figure out where where to start with the story because I've told Beginning it. Getting usually helps. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing is is that you know my background is is art and graphic design. So um, I spent a year at the University of Miami. I wanted to be a psychologist, and then I found out how much math and science was involved in that, and I was like, that's not going to work. So when I transferred to UNC Chapel Hill, I was sitting with my advisor that first year and she said what um you know what do you want to declare as your major and i was like i don't really know i was just like one of those kids at that point because 
I had gone into the whole college experience thinking I was going to be this psychologist. And, and then, you know, that blew up. Um, so I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, and she said, well, what do you like? And I was like, well, I like art, but I want to make money. So I told mm-hmm. be an art major, you know, and, and take all these classes because I had done that too. That's the whole reason why I wanted to do psychology because in high school I had studied art, took all the, you know, color theory and painting and drawing and everything in between. So I was like, I've done that. I don't really want to do it again. Like I said, I want to make money at some point. <laughs> um, so she said, well, why don't you do go into graphic design? And at that point, I had never heard of what graphic design, uh, never heard of graphic design, didn't know what it was, what it, what they did, you know. Um, and she kind of told me, gave me a, a brief summary of it. And I was like, yeah, I could see myself maybe doing that. And, sh- and um, she said, well, you should go through the journalism school to do it. She said, not the arts today, because the art school has their own graphic design, but you should go through the journalism because they'll give you more of a, you know, of a foundation if you're worried about um, not having uh, a job or something like that. So I was like, okay. Um, and it was really tough. <laughs> it was like, because I was not prepared, again, because you think journalism, you think graphic design, you think just computers, and I'm just going to sit here and learn a program and poof, you know, I get my degree. It was like learning how to, to re- be a reporter, have, learning the, the law part, you know, copyright law and everything else law, learning how to write uh, legal briefs, things that I never dreamed of or wanted to do. <laughs> I had to go through, you know, taking a grammar, a grammar test before you could even get your degree, you had to pass this grammar test. So it was that. And then, you know, a couple of design courses were, were mixed into that. So, um, you know, when I first got wait, out wait. of <laughs> run that back for me, because I went the other way and I went the art school route of, of studying graphic design. And there were no grammar tests. In fact, they were basically like, you need somebody to spell check this because you can't. <laughs> right. Please, please don't. <laughs> but. So you never thought about this career direction? No, I mean, and, you know, as a child, I, I like you know, I like to craft my own stories because I was a kind of a loner, introvert. I spent a lot of time by myself. So I like to keep myself entertained. So I would illustrate my own stories and comic books and it's creative, you know, create these own elaborate stories. I would draw them, I would write them, you know, and they would just be mine. I didn't share them with anybody really. Uh, I took them to school once or twice, but that was it. How'd that work out? <laughs> yeah, I never, like, it, it never came like, oh, I'm going to do this as a career. Uh, it never occurred to me. Like, I just, it just was something that I like to do. Um, and it's funny because then now that's kind of what I do, but in a more adult, <laughs> you know, mature kind of way. Yeah. So when I first got out of school uh, in 2006, uh, I started working for a gardening magazine because I just wanted to work and I had no experience working. So, you know, you, you go up against, Everybody who's like, you know, you need that three to five years of experience. I found a company that was just, you know, if you want this job, it's yours. And I was like, oh, wow. And I got paid peanuts. Nothing. I thought it was yeah. at the time, like most college students, you go, you don't know how to negotiate or um, bargain and you don't know your worth. So you're like, whatever. Like, I, that sounds like a lot of money. I never made that much money in a year. 
you don't know how taxes work and all that <laughs> stuff. And like half that amount, not even yours, it's the government. So, I mean, I just started out. That's just, that was my start. And I spent four years as a, a art director at a gardening magazine. Um, then I moved on to a company that dealt with a lot of tobacco magazines. And then I'll just do graphic design there. And then from there, um, there was a special project, I would say, that came up, Little Cigars and Leisure at the time. And we just, and I, um, the person that I work with, Ben Stimson, had said, you know, I want to create this magazine. I need, you know, we have these advertisers who don't really fit into this magazine. I want to create a, a platform or a magazine for them. So um, he told me the idea and I said, it sounds great, but, and not to put down the, the company that we were at at the time that doesn't exist anymore, but I said, Nobody here can really um, help you with that. <laughs> you know, they, they, you go tell them like, I need you to write some stories for this other magazine. And it was, it was just like a crazy idea. So I said, we have to do everything on our own, everything. I said, we need to create this magazine. So we have to design it on our own. We have to write it on our own. We have to like come up with the, um, you know, the, the design of the book, we need to come up with a dummy book so you can sell this to, to the advertisers. And that's how we got started. And we so, ran that, that magazine and I was still doing graphic design. I would do, I would split my days. I would do some graphic design and then I would, you know, write some stories. Um, and those first stories were kind of, I won't say they were terrible because there was some good content there. It's just, I didn't know how to craft <laughs> a story at that point. You well, know, I mean, you, you weren't as polished as you are today. Right. So, you know, I would get um, people's responses back and I was like, well, this is the story. <laughs> and I would just like tweak it and there would be no thought to it. It will just be like, well, this is their responses. This is a story. And, you know, those first couple stories that I did, like I said, if I had to do a redo, it would be a completely different story. But I have, I have over the years been able to go back to some of those stories and recraft them and recast them for a different publication so oh wow you know that's kind of how i got my start and then when i came to where i am now um they already had two writers so i kind of had to start back from the bottom <laughs> and work my way back up to writing as much as i do now so so hang on again because i gotta i gotta run this back and make sure i'm not missing something and i've heard you tell parts of this story but you mean to tell me that your second job out of college was that you started your own magazine with a partner? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it would be like, technically it would be like the third kind of thing. <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, but we started our, our own magazine. We did everything. We did everything. I mean, when we presented it to the company, um, it was a finished product. You know, they didn't have to do the, the research and development, really. It was just, it's done. And that's what I told the guys. I said, the only way we're going to get this pushed through is if we do the work for them. I mean, it's just making a no-brainer for them to pick it up. You know, so when they saw it, they were like, you know, they were flipping through it thinking it was going to be like the dummy text that you can just put into a, a document. And the the lore mixum. <laughs> like, and then <laughs> random pictures, and they're like, Oh, this is like a real story. It's so like, who wrote this? And I was like, I did. And they're like, and like, you, the graphic designer, wrote this? And I was like, yeah. I was like, uh, you know, I, I wrote it. But who designed it? Well, I did. And, you know, I was just, that's the kind of person I am. I'm very like hands on and I'm very like particular. So 
I like to it to come out a certain way. Um, and I'm, over the years, I've learned how to delegate it a little bit and let go and, and work with another creative person to make every little piece happen. But there's still a lot that I tend to kind of keep my hands on it and do. So and there's a lot of that now. I mean, what's at, at Tobacco Business now, where you're editor, what's the team look like? How many staff are you guys working with? What's your what's your, your delegation you know look like there? Or is it still a lot of you? I mean, current, I know it's not just me. I mean, it's a team. So we have yeah. different team members. It's like Power Rangers, you know, everybody has their own power and their own little vehicle that they, we all come together at the end to create tobacco business. Um, so it's definitely not just me. Um, I do a lot of the writing. Um, I'm like the de facto kind of marketing person for the magazine. So I always, I'm trying to think of ideas to get, you know, the magazine's name out there and uh, deliver content in a way that matches today's industry and today's consumer because people are consuming information completely different than how now than how they were 10 years ago when I first started at, you know, in, in the tobacco industry. Back then, so, you know, people podcast and Instagram live, Facebook lives. I mean, it was like, what? They would never... They would never think about it. Zoom. I mean, they, none of this stuff would even. It would make people laugh. It was like Jetsons type stuff. It's now, still like yeah. Jetsons type stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> I swap my flying car that folds up into a briefcase that's light enough for me to carry into the office, and then we're there 100. percent Right. But right. Yeah. I mean, this is. And and the pandemic has kind of encouraged a shift. Yes, it has. But I think for a long time, at least in my experience, and, and I've had a weird adjacency to the tobacco business for a long time, largely based on the fact that for a dozen years, my office was adjacent to a cigar shop <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> um, but it seems like the tobacco industry for a long time has been slow to pick up the technology. And I, I understand and appreciate that because you don't make these with a computer. Right. Right. Like this is not a technological product. It's one of the few things that still connects to human hands. And, and that's part of what's wonderful about cigars. But yeah, I know I've engaged with brick and mortar shops that are saying, well, if nobody comes to see me as a rep and hands me a cigar and tells me that I should try it, why should I go out and try it? There are 400 cigars on the shelf already. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but there's a whole channel of humans out there that are passionate about this stuff, talking about what they like. You can just go read it and say, oh, I should get those because people like them. They're like, yeah, it's not for me. <laughs> right. And, and I think that this time has kind of forced some change in that space and, and encouraged people to start thinking a little differently. Yeah. Okay. Think, what what you been seeing? Uh, for me, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, I think we all were just kind of sitting. It was like we've been grounded and we didn't really know what we did. So we all kind of our own respective corners of the industry and home and just sat here for like a couple of days going, oh, is this a, a couple week thing? Is like how how long is this gonna last? And then as we got, you know, I think by me by week two, I was like, wow. Because things that kind of come to a, a halt around the whole industry, like nobody was traveling anymore, 
you know, factories were shutting down. So there was no real news coming out. You know, businesses were shutting down temporarily. So there was no press releases coming out. So like on the media side, you're like, wow, there's like nothing really to report. So that's when I started saying like, what can I, how can I improve what I do? So that's, that's when I started jumping on Instagram lives a lot more and um, reaching out to people, having those conversations through Instagram and um, opening it up so that other people could sit here and, and listen to me and whoever my guest of the day was. And I did that for 34 um, 34 days, <laughs> you know, every I just, day for 34 days, 34 days, except for the weekends, I, I would do an interview with somebody and um, just, you know, as an experiment, just to see, you know, the art of conversation, as I called it, you know, every, every person was different. So some of them were a little bit more business-like. Some of these people I know on a friendly basis. So it was a little more, more friendly banter and, um, you know, fun antics, but, you know, each one of those conversations, I think I learned something from, and then I will hope the people who are listening and um, tuning in were able to watch too, because are able to learn something from, because um, the fun thing about Instagram live, um, when, I mean, people can ask questions. And so I was always yep. tell people, like, ask your questions, because it helped me too, because sometimes I would kind of run dry on, you know, on some of the con of stuff I wanted to ask them. And then, you know, the questions has kept it going and it made it more interesting. And it just took another, a completely different, like left field out, like the Ernesto Perez Carrillo conversation. I mean, people were taking advantage of it, which I was like, great. I was like, yes, ask your questions. So they were asking about specific types of tobacco and like, well, why do you like to use this as your wrapper? Or why do you, you know, do this? What's the, the, what's the easiest tobacco to work with? What's the hardest? And he would just sit there and, and I would say, hey, Ernesto, Somebody asked, blah, blah, blah. He would just sit there and ask the question. And that's something that we don't really get. I mean, it was almost like a store visit, but it was in a virtual format. So um, I really enjoyed, you know, doing that. And then I had to take a break to kind of get some magazine stuff done once things started picking up a little bit. But um, it's, you know, I think like most of the industry, I'm looking at it as something to keep going, um, you know, forward with and, and working with. Oh, I mean, there's so many things. So you're you're a young, innovative guy. I mean, you graduated in 2006, so you're you're still like prime young professional mode, right? And yeah, we're talking about magazines, right? And I think that it's interesting. It's like I I was in school a little bit before you, and the entire conversation in my graphic design experience was. Everything's going digital. Magazines are going away. People don't care about paper, which has not proven to be true. Paper has to be better, but right. it's not going away. Uh -huh. What do you see kind of when you're thinking about the tobacco industry and also just in general in the creative world and the production world? Like, how do you see these things swirling together? What's that look like in, in your crystal ball? Well, when I was in school, I took this course and I can't even tell you what the course was about. I could tell you it was some type of journalism course. And a professor had this whole theory that he told us about, uh, I think it was um, rising doves, settling eagles. And this theory that he came up with was that you look at the course of media and journalism, you know, different mediums and platforms rise. So they're like a rising dove and they're pretty and they're, and then they, they settle and they're majestic and they're like aged and they have like, you know, history to them. 
that's the settling eagle. So you said like newspapers, for example, that was the, you know, at one point that was it. That was, that was media. People consumed all their information from newspapers and they had the same art. They rise and then they kind of peaked and they didn't go away. It's just that they became a little bit less uh, needed or you don't see them as, as often. And so magazines are kind of the same way. So when I look at tobacco business, I don't even just see it as a magazine. Like me, I'm looking at it digitally. Like the magazine is like the, uh, a byproduct of all the digital stuff going on because, you know, on a daily basis, I'm updating a website. Right, you know? it moves fast, which is good. Yeah, and so, and that's just it. Like with a magazine, if I, you know, posted something in the magazine, it could easily be obsolete by the time it actually comes out in print. So that's why you don't see a lot of news um, kind of stories in tobacco business because it's just things move too quickly. Um, yeah. And that's why I see a lot of the industry, you know, even people, you know, we, you can look back at the covers of the magazine, uh, Tobacco Business, in the last three years, and there's so many people that you're like, wow, that person moved on or that company is now over here and this, you know, this shift happened here. Um, that's just what the industry is right now. I mean, it's going through a change and it's, it's, I don't think it's all bad. It's not all good either, but it's just change. And, and as a media person, I think it's our job just to kind of deliver some type of news and some type of conversation to kind of let people know this is what's happening now. Because, you know, we, you and I could talk a, a year from now and everything that we talk about today will completely be changed a different perspective and we'll have gone through different things in another 365 days. And that's how the industry like if you had told me a year ago, I know that this would be happening. <laughs> exactly, like, and you know, and that's the and that's the funny thing about technology. It reminds us like everything that happened before. I mean, how many days? Like I go on like Instagram, and every day is like two years ago. This is what happened. I'm like, wow, I was traveling. I was in San Diego. <laughs> you know, four years ago you were in San Francisco. I was like, yeah. Now look, I'm I'm you know haven't been on a plane and. It's like February. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. I'm used to a lot of travel. I'm like, I've been in the same place for four months. Uh -huh. That hasn't happened in a decade. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's then you're weird. Like, what does travel like a year from now? Like what's gonna, you know, what is gonna look like? Because it's not gonna be it's not gonna be like it was 365 days ago. It'll be a completely different experience. Well, I mean, I think that in the corporate travel world in particular, companies are now suddenly aware that they don't have to buy all these plane tickets and stuff still gets done. Right. And, and sometimes, sometimes a good thing because like with budgets and everything else, it's like sometimes, you know, we were like happily traveling, but you know, do we need to sometimes, you know, right. know that we can use Zoom sometimes to get just as much done, you know, traveling for a 30 minute meeting, um, you know, lot. and spending like five or six hundred dollars on a plane ticket and then the, the hotel and a rental car. Hey, and it's just like crazy. And it's like, can this be done over Zoom or even like can this be done over email or a text message? I mean, I get so much more work done sometimes through Instagram than I sometimes get an email because sometimes I know some I know the people who are on Instagram all the time. So sometimes I'm like, I'll send them an email. No response. Peace. <laughs> A DM and be like, hey, you know, can I get your opinion on this or can I um, do a story on you and this? And they'll respond 
quicker. That's just the way the, quicker. That's just the world we live in. Well, okay. I mean, I think that the, the space for collaboration in social media is just different than I, I don't understand what happened to email. It's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be, but it's, it still gets a bad rap too, because like there are, you know, online cigar companies who have my number, you know, and they know they send me the email with the right thing in it and the credit card's coming out of the pocket, the register's going to ring, done. But I'm not having conversations with people on email. No, sometimes it's, that's, that's the problem. You know, it's, it's, we've lost that personal touch with a lot of these, these relationships. Or sometimes it's, it's almost like high school. Sometimes too, it becomes a little bit clickish. Like oh, you'll see you. You'll see these people and you'll email them or, or DM them. And sometimes it's, it's for whatever reason is, you know, they just don't respond. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, and you'll see them, but you'll see that they're, they're active. It's like I said, that's why it's like high school because- They're leaving you all red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're in high school and you're just like, you're just, you, you know, we just ignore certain people. And then we're like, oh, yeah, like I saw you, you called and I was just occupied or whatever. And you're sitting there like completely just ignoring that. I don't want to talk to that person. That's how, you know, we are still as adults sometimes. You know, it's interesting. So one of the podcasts I'm a big fan of is, is the Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm-hmm. I think he gets incredible guests. And he had one that he did with Brian Koppelman, the guy who created the show Billions. And they talk about the art of saying no and saying no gracefully. And I feel like a lot of, you know, the email that you're talking about is people who haven't figured that out yet. And because they can't figure out how to say no, and they don't want to get coerced into saying yes. Right. You just hear the crickets, right? And like, I've been guilty of that for sure. I'm like, ah, I'll deal with that later. I don't know how to respond to that right this minute. And then you're off on the next thing. As journalism, I mean, you get a lot of that. How do you how do you deal? How do you work through that? Because you're you're both like hybrid journalist slash entrepreneur slash business leader, kind of in, in growing this magazine. How do you deal with that? You've got people who are elusive. Um, well, I mean, you have different approaches. At a certain point, you just have to kind of give up and just like or put it to bed and then come back to it you know, later on, if you think it's really important. Like, if I think a story is really good, you know, I want to do that story. So, I mean, even people now, I'm just, I'm, I will hassle you. I won't, like, hassle you every day or every week, but I will sit there and, and like, you know, it'll be, it'll be, like, an email trail that's just, like, this long. Um, and it's just me going, hey, just trying to follow up and figure out, you know, if it's going to happen. And like you said, until I get that no, um, I won't, you know, I, I won't stop. And I think, um, and I've also been on the other end of it though, because I get emails like right now, for some reason, I guess because of COVID, I'm getting inundated with like pitches like, hey, I know this person who, and, and they won't be tobacco industry related. So that's what makes it hard for me to respond to because it's like, hey, this person um, will be a great story. And how do you feel about it? Like, let me know. And I'm like, um, do they want to talk about tobacco or do they want to talk to tobacco people? And I responded to this one company, and this one company in particular that has been doing this. 
And I responded to them because I was like, if I was on their end, I would want a response. And I would feel really slighted if this person didn't, you know, um, respond to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be nice. <laughs> and I'm going to be responsible. And I was like, hey, um, thanks for reaching out. Um, yeah, this person sounds great. Like they are an Instagram influencer. That sounds great. I was like, um, I'm a, you know, I work for a trade publication. So we're, you know, business to business. Do they want to talk about, you know, how to transfer their skills to like a business to business kind of, um, you know, makeup? No response back from them. So I was like, so they left me on red. But then some other people from their company have to send me pitches. So now I'm not inclined to respond because I'm like, you know. Yeah, what's, what's happening here? So I don't know if I answered your question, but sometimes I feel like if it's a good story or you know what you want out of it, you just have to keep keep at it at different angles. And the same thing, with, especially with tobacco companies, because there is so much turnover, it's easily that if you wait long enough, somebody that you know will end up at that company. And you can just say, look, I need to, you know, do me this favor and I'll, you know, it'll be good publicity or whatever you want to do. So, you know, it's funny because I think that that's, if there's something in there about time and about staying on it and letting things mature on the other end, but also most importantly, knowing what you want out of it. Right. Like like I said, the, the Oprah advice was always she said before any interview she does she said and this is a question that usually doesn't even make it into like the film interviews or right, court. Yeah. She, said, she said i always ask the person what's their intent what do they want out of this she said because if without that you don't know what you want what you know you don't know what to give and you don't know what to to take from them so ever since i've heard that i've always you know usually before i even start a story i will ask somebody like what's your intent like what do you want out of this? What do you want people to, to feel? And sometimes it turns into a therapy session and that's fine. And they'll go I mean, on. That's the- where you started your your your, uh, your educational app. <laughs> it was funny because I was talking to a retailer a couple of weeks ago and I mean, we had a, a, an hour, an hour and 20 minute conversation. And like, you know, at towards the end, she was like, wow, this felt like a therapy. And I was like, well, I'm glad it, it felt like therapy to you. I was like, it's without, you know, the hundred dollar or so price tag. So, I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's it's meant it's meant to, for me, like in interviews, you know, I'm talking to you now, but like for me, I, what I've learned too in interviews is I'll ask a question and I'll just be silent to the point where they think that I'm not even there on the on their interview anymore because it's good because you want them to talk and I've learned again from from listening to how people, you know, big time people interview people and all that. One of the the things they said is. You know that silence when people feel uncomfortable they talk so you get a lot more out of it than if you you know just are constantly asking a question and then you insert yourself say oh well yeah me too i remember when i i usually don't do that with most interviews i'll sit there like i said i'll put my phone on mute i'll ask them a question and i'll just let them talk and talk and talk and i'll be like walking around the apartment right now since we're you now we're working from home and i'll be doing other stuff and I'll just wait for them to completely like come to a, a standstill. And then I'm like, oh yeah, great. And I don't even listen to it because I have to listen to it and play back anyway. So sometimes, and that's just to get, like I said, get them talking. That's the hardest wow. part of the interview is to get them to talk and to get past like the the, the shell 
and the outer, you know, outer layer stuff, the protective stuff, and getting really into that that vulnerable, you know, meaty stuff. That I mean, that's story. You got you got a very challenging job ahead of you because you, you mentioned it, and I think it's important to talk about that. that getting people to be vulnerable and to be authentic and to talk about what really matters. I and mean, I think that's part of what sets your work apart from a lot of the other stuff in the industry is you, you make the effort and you take mm-hmm. the time to do that. How, how do you feel like, you know, what does that for you? What's, where, where does that drive come from? What's that? How did you grow that skill? Well, I think for me is it, it had to start with me. Like when I was, just starting to write for the industry, I was a completely different person and nobody knew who I was. And, you know, I would, you know, I went to like the trade shows and all that kind of stuff at the beginning and still nobody knew who I was. And it wasn't until like later on, like years into me being in the industry and somebody was like, you have no personal brand. You have no personal I mean, they were just blunt about it. And it was like, at the time, I mean, it didn't hurt my feelings because I was like, yeah, no, I don't. It's not about me. They're like, no, but it needs to be about you. And they're like, you have no personal brand. Like nobody knows, you know, what distinguishes you between somebody else. They said, you could be anybody right now. They said, but people need to get to know, know you. They said, you know, that's what social media is for. You need to be like on, you know, social media. You need to be on Instagram. They need to see you interacting with the product. They need to see you interacting with different companies. They need to see what your interests are outside of the industry. And for me, that was like, that's all about being vulnerable because you're like opening up, you know, like like when I do my videos, this is like the scene that people see, you know, this is like my apartment. (laughs) So it's like, you know, like they can't get more vulnerable than that um, sometimes. It's it's incredibly personal. Yeah, and then sometimes, you know, I will, you know, I'll shift away from the cigar stuff and it'll be like, hey, I'm playing this, I'm playing this game on the Switch, you know, just to kind of, and those start conversations sometimes. People are like, oh, well, I'm playing that game too. You know, when Animal Crossing first came out earlier this year, I was like, I'm playing this. And then like other people from the cigar industry was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's how I'm getting through COVID right now. It's like escape to the island. And I was like, exactly. Yeah. Or the, the, um, my vinyl collection. Every you know weekend, I'm like opening up a new vinyl. I have like a whole stack of them right now that I haven't gotten to, and so it's like introducing people to to that kind of music. And I had some great conversations with people like asking, you know, where do you find your vinyls? Or, oh, I like that album. I remember when that album first came out. So stuff. I think we all need to be a little bit more willing to be a little bit more open and vulnerable because everything is so curated on social media. That's that shell. You know, we, we can easily craft whatever idea. And I think people feel they know when somebody's authentic and are, they're not, especially in this industry, because so much is crafted. You know, there, there's, there's a part of the cigar industry that's um, the lifestyle of the rich and famous. You know, that's the mentality. You know, the, the yachts and the expensive suits and this and that and the flashy stuff and the, you know, the women dripping all over you. And, then, and that's not really like reflective of the industry that once you get into it, you know, there are women who smoke cigars, there's minorities and the, you don't see that reflected all the time in the media or in coverage or um, magazine so, ads and so on and so forth. So for me, it's about bringing all of that to the forefront because that's, 
that's authentic. And you can't replicate, you can't replicate that sometimes. You, it is what it is. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's something that is shifting very much because of social media. You see a lot of new and expanding visibility for minority cigar smokers, for women who smoke cigars, for women in the cigar industry, where I I remember for years as a cigar smoker, pretty much nobody knew anybody except for Carlos Fuente, Rocky Patel, you know, they, they, maybe you knew who Willie Herrera was. Uh, eventually everybody got to know Matt Booth because he's a huge personality. But now there's so many cheap brands and so many more diverse voices in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, talk to me about what you're seeing in that, how that change is happening where you see yourself in that space because you've been in it a long time too but again i don't think most people know that there's been a minority voice curating what's happening in tobacco business magazine for a long time yeah yeah i don't think they a lot of people know that and you know it's probably i try not to make it about me because i think that's the 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 kind of thin line you kind of walk, you don't mm-hmm. ever want it to be just about you and what your story, like I need people to focus on the stories I'm telling sometimes more so than, than who's writing it. Um, mm-hmm. Writing a part shouldn't really matter. I guess sometimes it's, it's the surprise, you know, the surprise, like, oh my gosh, there's a, like you said, you know, there's a minority, but a lot of the media I know are actually, it's a pretty diverse group of media. I mean, there's a lot of women in the media right now, the cigar media. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like I said, there's a lot of minorities like us kind of rising and and doing their own podcast down, their own shows, and which is great. Um, so I think we're all becoming more visible. Um, how my experiences in the industry, um, in terms of like relationships with brands, like I don't feel like Personally, like I need to be dedicated to one brand. I never want to be associated with just being like, he only likes this brand or that brand. Mm-hmm. I try a little bit everything. I'm not, my palate has not, I guess, been shocked to the point where it will only accept a certain brand of cigars. Um, it really hasn't. You know, I don't smoke every day. Um, you know, I can go a week or more even without having a cigar. Um, you know, it's not about that for me. And like you said at the beginning, for me, it's this, to bring those stories about entrepreneurship and the people and the faces behind the brands and tell their stories. Um, that's always been the most important thing to me. So for me, it's important to get to try as many products as I can so I can know when I'm talking to somebody, you know, I'm not just talking. You know, I have to say, you know, that cigar that you that you made like what's the story behind this cigar and, and it makes sense like i said um some of the, the interviews that stand out to me is like the set perez carrillo um you talk to her very i mean she has an amazing story you know a great arc of, of how she kind of came into the industry and then she was kind of you know studying i think law and other things and then she kind of came back into the industry now she's 
kind of Ernesto's like right hand and she's working on so many different things within the, the um, company, but you know, you don't really hear that story a lot. So telling, you know, her story, um, telling Liana Fuente's story, um, uh, you know, all these women, Indiana Ortez, mm -hmm. uh, that's always important for me. So, um, so do you feel like those stories are starting to right come up to try that it's fun to, it's fun to just experiment and try a different brand and see how, you know, see how it is and find out what you like and what you don't like. So talk to me, speaking of that, we, we haven't talked much about cigars uh, and I'd be remiss if we didn't. So what brands are you excited about right now? What are you smoking? What are you, you know, obviously you're doing the research, but, but what's, what are the personal choices right now for you? So my personal choices right now, um, so I've been really getting in, into Perdomo, especially over the last year or so. So I've not like had a Perdomo cigar that I don't like. Wow. Um, okay. So Perdomo, um, Perdomo Lot 23 is one of those cigars I like. It's like a nice affordable cigar, um, but it doesn't get as much attention as like the champagne and the, the flashier um, things, but it's a great cigar. And like they just released, you know, um, the 10th anniversary, um, Sunny Grown and Maduro, which everybody's kind of going crazy over. So I finally got my hands on one. So I'm looking forward to actually trying that. It came in like last week for me. Um, I bought a few sticks from two guys. Um, so I'm really excited about Perdomo. Um, Matt Booth, I like Matt Booth. He's, he's a friend of mine. So whenever he releases something, I try to go out and find it too. Um, just to find it and just to try it because he has such a interesting story for those people who don't know. I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely had, like I said, that, that great arc. So I've told him one time, it's like a, um, you know, it, it's, it's like a Netflix, like the description of it is just like a Netflix story. Like, I don't want to get too much into it, but it's, it's, it's a fun story. So I always like try to support him. Um, you know, other brands is, is I just like, like I said, anything that kind of catches my eye, I, I, um, I mean, Davidoff doesn't make any bad stuff. No. So I have a ton of Davidoff stuff to try. Um, you know, um, General Cigar still makes great stuff. So there's a lot of people who are just doing great stuff. I haven't really had a cigar that's like bad. Maybe I, I had a couple of cigars that didn't impress me enough to say, yeah, I would buy this again, you know, I would buy this again, but nothing's been like, gosh, that was terrible. There's only like one cigar and it was from like an offshoot company that, I mean, the draw on it was terrible. And that's always like what I look for. I'm like, I'll told, not even told them. I was like, the draw on it was just like, it was, it was like sucking on a rock. I mean, nothing was coming out of it. And they were like, oh, it, it must've been a bad one. I was like, okay. But <laughs> I'm not going to buy another one to find out. <laughs> we'll wait until, you know, those come through, you know, those get through. But, um, you know, crown heads, I like them. Um, you know, I was, I was, you know, I am a fan of Nat Sherman. So, you know, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, if you want. I mean, I, I'm not a Nat Sherman like representative, but no, 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 no. I I know, but and and I don't, I don't want to talk about the details of their business because that's you know, yeah. in my opinion, that's about this much of the story. But I think 
the arc of what happened to Nat Sherman and what's happening to Nat Sherman now speaks to a lot of the changes in the cigar industry of this storied family-owned company that was truly expressing their passion mm-hmm. to the world gets acquired by Big Tobacco and not long into that process, you know, we, we see what those of us who, and, and I'll be blunt, I like one product from Nat Sherman. I tried a bunch. The Timeless Nicaragua is awesome. I love that cigar. The rest of their stuff, they're good cigars. Am I going to go out of my way to find them? Probably not. The Nat Sherman Townhouse in New York is an icon. It's one of my favorite places in the city to go. It broke my heart yesterday to see on on your feed the the story about them closing. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of not just Nat Sherman and not just that, but in the industry, those things that you're seeing and hearing about and how consolidation is changing things and what that means for the entrepreneurs. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, a lot of it, this has to do with, it's not so much the companies, but like you said, it's, it's what's going on, on on Capitol Hill and the legislation. And it's not just one party, you know, it's, it's kind of on both sides of the, the aisle. You know, I've seen people who are like, you know, this person needs to get, you know, elected or, you know, it'll save the industry. You know, it's, that's not really the case. It's, it's really a local issue that this balloons out. and gets on a national scale. Um, And so that's why advocacy is so important. And being a member of as many of these trade organizations or at least following what they're doing and saying is important because you're gonna get a complete, you you can't just follow one trade organization. Uh, You need to kind of really follow a lot of them and a lot of the people in them to get the full story of what's happening from the state level, which is your local levels, all the way up into like the federal level. So, um, I mean, CRA, PCA, CAA, NATO, you know, there's so many organizations out there that are doing the advocacy work. And, um, you know, and maybe that kind of comes back to the media because they're not always the the part of the story that we're interested in telling. We know we like the cigars and the, this new release and this, you know, it has this wrapper binder filler and, this personality behind it. And that's only part of the story. I mean, there's so many, these organizations sometimes, um, and, and some of this is this, I don't, I don't think they know how to tell the story in a way. There's certain things, as you know, they can't talk about right away because it's legal stuff. But there is a way I think that maybe it, it just becomes the media's job to kind of knock on their door sometimes and say, hey, is, how can we tell the story or help you tell the story? Um, so you do know what's going on. So you aren't surprised. You know, there's stuff going on right now, for example, um, in California where they're trying to ban flavored tobacco products. Yep. And, you know, some people are going like, oh, it's not a big deal to me because I like so-and-so products or I like this products or this is just a vapor thing. And the problem with a lot of this legislation is the people who are making the legislation, they don't see a difference between the products. If you're smoking it or putting it in your mouth and, <laughs> and it's not medicine, they they see it as a problem. So to them, a, a tobacco a cigar is the same as a cigarette. 
and a, as is the same as an e-cigarette, as a vapor product, so on and so forth. Um, that's but that's not the case, and, you know. And so many people, just basic people, like before I got into the industry, that's how I saw it. You know, you, you don't know the individual stories. You just see tobacco, and tobacco is tobacco. But you know, when you know, like for example, like cigars. You know, they're not a cigarette. They don't have all the chemicals and, and so on and so forth in there. Um, but you're not, you're not taught that and you're not, you know, you're not told that story. You know, cigars don't appeal to kids. You know, I don't, I've never seen a teenager, <laughs> you know, standing behind the bleachers at school smoking a, a, a Fuente. <laughs> it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No. Now, vaping, yeah, but that's a completely different category. You know, even, you know, the, the, the strange thing that's happened over the years is that it's just become all this muddy water. You know, vaping is, has been, is kind of uh, the Trojan horse for everything. So it, it leads the way. And they just kind of group all tobacco products, you know, into one big category. And that's not a, a good approach. So um, you've got a background as a marketer, as a storyteller, and I think you hit it on the head when we're talking about our the tobacco industry uh, there are some groups out there whose point of view and i think in a lot of cases is coming from a good place and trying to keep kids safe right like that's a that's a right. good mission that's that's honorable work i'm not going to say that nobody should be doing that work but I think that they come at it from a point of view of, well, we have to keep kids safe. And then they're still responding, you know, to the way cigarettes were marketed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right. And we've had that kind of marketing prohibited for two decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and nobody's, there's, I've never seen a cigar ad that, attempted to make you think that if you were going to be one of the cool kids, you needed to smoke cigars. Right. Um, but see, what happens is like when they say like flavors are the big, you know, the big scary monster now, like the kids are going to, you know, see a flavor and they're going to go, oh my gosh, I want to try that. You know, just, uh, let me get that purple stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing is like earlier this year, right before COVID, you know, I was at Pro Cigar and, um, I went on the, the Casada tour. So Manuel Casada was, was on the bus. We were going to, to lunch as a, as the group. And um, somebody asked him about ratings and cigar ratings. And he said, you know what? He said, here's the thing about cigar ratings. He said, when we first, you know, when a certain magazine, I'm, people probably know who that magazine is. Um, when a certain magazine started and they started doing reviews, he said, that's when we as manufacturers start seeing all this stuff come up as you know they're saying oh it has hints of chocolate and cocoa and and um you know amber and all this other stuff and we're like what and he said it was completely foreign to us we would he said we would never that's not how we would describe it he said you know a cigar is the flavor of it is tobacco <laughs> he said that's that's just it he said but that's he said you know that magazine he said i understand why the magazine did it because they wanted to bring more people you know, help people understand, you know, how to, you know, what flavors or something are bringing them into the, the lifestyle in a way. Now, even to this day, though, like me, if I'm smoking a cigar, 
like in our look up how other people might describe it, half that stuff that they describe it as, I'm like, I have no idea. It's, it's foreign to me. I'm not going to lie. That's why you, in most of the magazines that I've worked for, we've never had reviews because I was like, I could never come up with some of these things that people describe it as. Um, and the point of that story is being that when you see like flavors being attacked, that's what makes it a big issue. Because for example, a vaping product now, an e-cigarette product or where they have like the jewel pods and so on and so forth, those are flavored in a certain way to make them appetizing, to make them appealing. Um, and you look at some of the marketing for that. Yeah, some of those things are marketed in a wrong way. It's marketed to appeal to a much younger person who's using that product. I know people who are vaping who are like in their 60s, and yet the product is marketed like somebody in there like who's like 12 or 13 is going to, you know, buy the product. That's a big difference. You know, cigars aren't marketed in that way. I mean, you look at a cigar and it's like, I mean, a kid – they're not going to care. I mean, you know, and there are some, you know, and there's, there's always a few bad players in the, in the bunch who might play around with, you know, it, but that's just not how, how it is. But, you know, it all comes back to the media. That's why I'm like, sometimes I'm very careful about how I describe a cigar. A, because like I said, I can never tell, I can't tell you half the little notes in there, like the cocoa. And that's just not how I am. I either like it or I don't like it. I can tell you the draw was good. It wasn't good. It burned good. It didn't burn good. I had to light it 20 times. That's a problem for me. Um, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff I can talk on. Um, you know, but flavors, you know, how we choose to describe something, um, it, it can get wrapped up in everything else going on. And right. pull back to the Nat Sherman discussion, you know, the sad part of this, this story with the Nat Sherman is like, you know, they had been in business for over 90 years. They were, they're, you know, the, the motto was like tobacconist to the world. You know, that's, that, that was the motto. And you think of, you know, it wasn't so much just about, you know, the cigar products, as you said, it was the experience that they were able to provide. And that's a unique experience. When you go to New York City, if you're a cigar smoker, there are lots of cigar stores right now <laughs> that you can yeah. visit. But the one store that everybody would, would want to go to for the experience was the Nat Sherman townhouse. And the thought of, you know, going to New York and not being able to visit the Nat Sherman townhouse or to not, you know, have Michael Herklotz there to share his knowledge and passion and love for the industry. That's the most upsetting part about it. Um, you know, <laughs> You know, Big Tobacco is going to keep buying some of these brands. And I've known there's other brands that have gotten bought or that you may have known that have disappeared and we don't need to discuss them. But we talk about them. You know, yeah. they've been, you know, acquired by Big Tobacco in some way. And it's usually because they want a certain part of their business or they feel like a certain part of the, the business kind of conflicts with what they want to roll out. And they get worried and they say, we'll just buy the company. And you know, they, they, they buy they buy out the company and they kind of run it for a little bit and then, you know, they want to get out. You know, if you look at big tobacco, combustible sales are going down year after year after year after year. So the whole Altria story, um, how I interpret it, is that it wasn't surprising. It was just, you know, I like Michael Herklotz's response to it that 
hey, they did give us a little bit more time than they they needed to. So that kind of should calm people down a little bit because they could have just pulled that, you know, plug early on. They had no reason. And they really didn't want to stay in the and they said back in October that, you know, this the premium cigar stuff doesn't really align with our portfolio because their portfolio was cigarette stuff. So um, you know, I, I hope that we keep in terms of the Nat Sherman story, that we keep them in mind and we keep people like her clocks in mind because they did such great work for 90, like I said, for 90 years. 90 years. 90 years. That's a long time for any business to be around. And, you know, for them to kind of get knocked out by COVID, you know, on the retail side, and then, you know, just business is, is it's kind of a, a sad thing. And of course, especially with substantial equivalence that's coming up in September, maybe being postponed, you know, and the thought that, hey, you know, so I think there's still hope that maybe somebody will come along and at least, um, you know, it's like your classic 80s story, like your the favorite town bar or, or cafe or whatever gets bought out by the big bad guys and somebody at the last minute comes in and says, you know, this is a historic part of the town, we're going to save it. I think we're all hoping that maybe that can happen still with Nat Sherman Townhouse, uh, even if it's somebody you know else in the industry, because a lot of these big cigar companies right now they do have a big retail, you know, part. And so I would love to see one of them. This is my personal thing. This doesn't have. This is not a magazine statement, you know. But one of these big, you know, cigar companies come in and and save that space and preserve it for what it, it was to the industry and even maybe keep the name of it. It could be like uh, something, 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 you know, townhouse, you know, Nat Sherman townhouse or something like that. Um, I think that would be a really great gesture. And to, and I hope Michael Herklotz, um in some capacity stays in the industry because I think to lose that kind of voice in the industry, somebody who's passionate about the tobacco, knowledgeable about the tobacco, um, about cigars, about what makes it different from all these other products that the FDA is worried about. I think we need that. We need those types of voices because it can't just be one or two people. Um, and he, you know, he, he touches so many different people, important people too. listen to him. And he knows he has such clout. And I don't think he sometimes acknowledges that or likes to acknowledge it, but you know, we need advocates like him um, active in the industry to keep it, to keep it going. You know, I mean, I don't think that there's enough talk, particularly when we talk about entrepreneurship, I don't think there's enough talk about the overlap between entrepreneurship and advocacy and, and how those things work together, particularly in regulated industries like tobacco. Um, you know, and, and you're right. I think that her class is a, a very unique case of somebody who is in the business, has influence, is connected to key people at the state and, and federal level. And New York is a major space for that you know mm -hmm. throughout the history of this country the things that happen in new york city are a two and a half hour train ride from dc right like and it's and and that's how quickly the policy impacts happen that that goes back to you know the the new deal and to you know really the the growth of the of america through the industrial revolution it's it, those two cities have been linked in that way in a really important way and and i think that that also speaks to a change in the cigar business and in you know to your point 
I don't think it's a change in who's smoking cigars because being ad guys, right? Like I can look back at the past and think about all of the five cent cigar ads that existed. Now I'm too young to have ever smoked a nickel cigar. Thank God, because I'm terrified that they were probably all horrible. <laughs> but nickel cigar was a cigar that anybody could afford. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about it. This is a lot in the cigar media. It's a lot of what the magazines promote. Uh, it's a lot of what the imagery around cigar culture promotes is the suits and the yachts and the expensive cars. Remember, I like all of those things. Like I do. Uh, but there are a lot of everyman, working class cigar smokers out there that are just regular people. And, you know, how do you see what you're seeing in the media now, what you're seeing in the kind of story you're sharing, what you're seeing in the kind of ads that are coming into the magazine? Do you see a shift towards reflecting more of that? Or do you still see that the, the produced curated imagery is still very much that aspirational, you know, one percent type stuff? Well, I mean... I mean, advertising is so weird anyway right now that <laughs> the ads the ads focus on the product right now. That's that's just what I see. Um, they focus more so on the product than who's actually smoking it. Um, but what I do see is like with social media, you see a lot more faces attached to you know the industry at large. So you see there's a lot more of the diversity that's in the industry. And especially in the last couple of months with all these Zooms and, and virtual town halls and Instagram lives and Facebook lives, you get to see some of those people who are, who are fans of the, these companies. And I think it's, it's been nice because you do get to see that they're not all, like I said, the, the business suits and high rollers. I mean, it's every man and everybody. I mean, it's, that's what cigars are supposed to do. They're supposed to bring different groups of people together um, and focus on, on more of that than a lifestyle of the rich and famous kind of vibe like it was 10 years ago. Um, you know, I, I still, I still see some of that, you know, carry over into today, but that's not, that's not our, our, the industry. It's just not, I mean, it's, it's a lot more diverse and, and um, you have different opinions, you have different takes. I mean, it's been weird, you know, under uh, COVID-19, we've had a couple of uh, situations in the cigar industry that have come up that have definitely been like, uh, it's almost like The View, like you have five different opinions of, of different takes on it and it's just been interesting to watch and hear everybody's kind of chime in because it's not all, it's not all the same now. And it's and even politically, like when I first started the industry, it was very conservative. That was the industry. Everybody kind of got behind that idea. But now I see a lot more of, I mean, it's just a lot everywhere. <laughs> like you have different ends of the spectrum. And that's been nice to see because that's just the kind of world that we live in. You know, we're not all one group and we not we don't all look at the same situations the same way, the same, um, don't have the same opinions, you know, we have different mindsets and the whole ideas 
this melting pot, which is the whole American idea of coming together, bringing our own special ingredients into this industry, making it better. So, I mean, we can hope, right? Yeah. Like hope. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think that that's happening. I think that there's, there's a lot of change in, in this moment, not just in this industry, in American culture as a whole. I mean, you've got the combination, and in my opinion, kind of the perfect storm of COVID, social media, and accessible 5G internet, and everybody having media production tools built into their cell phone. Mm -hmm. So you've got people with time to create stuff, the necessary tools to create stuff. And think about when you were in school, when I was in school, the idea of having a professional production quality camera, professional production quality audio recording equipment, and the necessary internet speed and platform to share that with people, like that was $100,000 worth of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and now it's an iPhone. Mm -hmm. it's all of those things. Uh, it is. And, and I think that, you know, like, I was inspired, and, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this, with your article about Black-owned cigar brands. And I was inspired by that because I think that a lot of the industry, much like every other industry out there, uh, has attempted to be a bit colorblind. And, and has attempted to say, hey, you know, this is going to rise and fall on the merits of the product. If it's a great product, we're going to talk about it and blah, blah, blah. But then it's still a lot of the same usual suspects getting the coverage. Right. Because they make a lot of great products. And these companies that make one or two great products, they're just aren't enough pages. Uh, and so I thought it was amazing that you did that article. I thought the timing was unique. I thought that coming from your voice was an important, authentic thing to do. So again, I thank you for that. Um, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about life in follow-up to that article, because I feel like that was definitely a moment where you chose to be vulnerable and be your authentic self and put something out there that mattered to you and, and see the, the world and the industry respond. What's that look like? Well, I mean... I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. <laughs> you know, <Be> blunt. <laughs> for me, I like I said, you know, if I do a story, it's a story usually that I want to do. Um, so nobody told me to do that story. You know, it was I sat here and I was I think like most people, we all kind of sit here and we see things, the, everything going on in the world. You see, you turn on the media, you turn on the, the news, everybody's so angry. And so negative and all this other stuff and it's just like uh and i was inspired by you know one of um one of the the ladies that i follow because she curated a humongous list and she it took a lot of time but she curated this list of, of black owned cigar businesses and i was like oh you know and i thought it was a, a nice thing to do and, and you don't really think of of even if you are a minority sometimes you're, you don't sit around thinking Oh, you know, I never, I've never seen this story before. So for me, I was like, uh, I was like, that, that was a, an interesting thing to do. And I, 
you know, I was like, <clears throat> I was like, what's the harm in, in bringing some of those, you know, highlighting five of those companies just to see what happens. Um, you know, long story short, you know, that story resonated with people um, in some way because it came out to, I mean, it, for two months now, it's been like our top story on cigarsandleisures.com. Wow. So it's gotten well over. At this point, it, it has to have over 15,000 page views. Um, you know, so to me, that, that means it, it hit people in a, in, a, in a good way. And there was a lot of companies that, like you said, uh, I've picked those companies because I, I looked at their website. So it wasn't just random. I looked at their websites, you know, I looked at their social media. So I kind of like said, wow, these people are kind of doing something that's cool. You know, they had other stories done on them before by other uh, media people. You know, here's just, you know, a starting point. It was by, by no means was like the complete list. Oh, um, no. Yeah. And it was just a good starting point of, of that conversation. Um, so, and most people in the industry thought it was great. You know, I, I had people who are brand owners in the industry reached out and said, I'm glad you did a story like that. So they were all supportive. And there's always going to be some people who see it completely differently in that. And, you know, it bums you out still. And I'm not going to lie. You don't sit there and go, oh, I don't care. But you do care because after you see like 9,000 or so page views and, and people are sharing the story and they're directing traffic to the story and, and they're getting referral links so that people are going from the air story to their websites. That kind of stuff makes you exciting. You're like, yeah. So any little thing that kind of dings that sometimes does bring you down a little bit. So, I, you know, the, the industry that I know is pretty open. Nobody really cares too much about, like I said, skin color or whatever. You walk into a cigar store, for the most part, I mean, you can sit down there and you can start, start up a conversation with anybody. It doesn't matter who you are, your background. You know, there's always, you know, whenever I deal with Davidoff, they love to tell the story of, you know, when that one of our stores, you know, a CEO could be sitting right next to a plumber. And that's what we want. We want to create that you know, beautiful experience of just sharing a cigar and like what you all have in common is that your love for, you know, the cigar or whatever. Um, and that's what the industry mostly is. There's, it's just like any other industry. There's always going to be some people who see it differently and they interpret it differently. Um, and they did. And I, I read the comments and that kind of goes back to the whole thing where there was just like, you know, there are some comments like you are perpetuating racism because you're, focusing on the skin color of, you know, these people, you know, or you're trying to tap into, you know, the popularity. I'm like, we're not selling anything. It's, it'll be different. Like, like, <laughs> we're not selling. We don't get any like kickbacks or anything like that. Like that's not how our media stuff. I don't know if other people, I mean, we don't have any affiliate links where, you know, people, you know, are going to get, we're going to get 30 cents off of every sale or something like that. It's just like, we just put out stories that we think people need to hear. So I focus on that, you know, in retrospect. And, um, you know, I've had people say, I hope you all keep continuing to do that. And I'm like, yeah, we are. I mean, like in tobacco business, um, you know, and I think one of the things that was brought to my attention, like, you know, we do a, a reader survey every now and then. And somebody said, you know, I wish you all had a little bit more diversity in your magazine. And that's something that I, I've said a lot too. 
but sometimes it's hard to find that diversity, you know, to, to pull in. You can't just create it sometimes. So, right. you know, I, I, you know, there is going to be more diversity. And, you know, when I say diversity, I don't just mean skin color. I mean, gender and different backgrounds and different perspectives and stuff, stuff like that. Because I think seeing that difference and, and hearing from different people is always important. You know, we're, working with different writers to, to bring in different perspectives and ideas. So um, for me, it was just an eye-opening experience and I hope it is for other people just that there's, there's always gonna be another brand out there that you don't know about and it doesn't matter that the person is of color, it shouldn't, but you know, they don't always, to me, get the same consideration as anybody because you know, sometimes they're not, not seen as being as as prepared or as professional, you know, they aren't as polished. They don't have the budget sometimes. They don't have the, the funding to create a standout website. They don't have, you know, that marketing person um, that they can pay for, that they can afford. Because a marketing person costs money, a, a good one. Um, so they don't have that that person there to say, you all need to do email blasts. You need to do, you know, you need to be on Facebook every day. You need to have an Instagram page that's doing that. A lot of these are entrepreneurs and they're just like kind of bootstrapping it right now and just trying to, you know, build up a business period. So they will get there at some point. It's just at a different pace sometimes than, you know, a, a, any other company. And sometimes all they need is just us media just to highlight them and bring them forward. Well, and I think the cigar industry is so interesting in that space because if you look at the tobacco bone and, and where cigars come from. If you look at the majority of the cigar factories on this planet, we're talking about people of color. Right. You know, I mean, we're, we're not talking about your typical image of the American businessman when you talk about the Fuente family or when you talk about Ernesto Carrillo or when you talk about, you know, I mean, they, I, I could go on and on and on. And so it's so interesting to me to see this space that is, it hinges on the, the region around the equator and the people of that region to grow the tobacco, not all of it, but a lot of it, and to produce the cigars and do the labor that produces these amazing products. Uh, and then to say, okay, well, there's some other people of color who are fans of these products, who are working to produce their own blends and working to put these products out for people who, who align with their taste preferences. And to think that that's somehow a negative story or an exclusionist story is it's just it's mind-blowing to me to see that we struggle that much with, with racial identity in this country uh, that, that we can't see that parallel that it's okay for Ernesto Perez Carrillo to make cigars but it becomes a different question when we're talking about Aries cigars uh, from from London but sometimes I think it's, it's on a media side is how you frame a story too because you could tell these people stories 
And sometimes as a media, you need to frame it in the same way as you would any other company. And that's not to downplay their story, but it's to say it's the same story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing different from this person's story than this person's story because of their, their skin color or whatever. And that's what I've learned too. Sometimes it's a balancing act. Now that was the black story for cigars and leisure, you know, black owned cigar companies. That was a timely story because if you turn on the, the like uh, ABC news this week, they've been doing a whole week long series on black entrepreneurs, um, you know, at the, on the one o'clock news, which has been really interesting to just to read and, and watch and, and see how that's played out the whole week. So I think as a media, we, we realize, oops, you know, sometimes we drop the ball and we don't always shine the light everywhere like we should. But at the same time, you don't want to downplay, you know, you don't want to make it seem like any group is less than just because. So it's a, like I say, it's a really weird balancing act sometimes. So sometimes, you know, like when we were talking about bringing more diversity into, you know, tobacco business, I was like, you know, do we create a, a section for them? I was like, what would we call it? Like minority report? Like, like, like you know, like, no, it was, it was a real question. I was like, what, what are we going to call it? And I was like, cause they're like, you know, cause they, they're like everybody on the team was open to having more of these stories was like, what, you know, what do we call it? And then that, finally I was like, let's just like run it just like anybody, you know, else. I mean, you'll have the visual there. People can, can see it and they can make their own decisions. But I was like, you know, I don't think we need to make it. It was just like, you know, for, for a long time, sometimes you need them to differentiate just to say, hey, this group is there. Mm -hmm. And there is a reason to like pinpoint that group. But then you can like phase it, phase that out and say, hey, they're just as equal. You know, you don't need a, a women in business section. Women are always in business. This isn't anything new. So, you know, in tobacco business, now you don't really see a, a women in business section because they have always been in business and they've always been a part of the industry. And they're just, you know, it's, it's a, a standalone story, just like if it was anybody else. And the same for minority. That's how we, we're, we're treating it in the magazine. It's, it's a business, <laughs> you know? I mean, and I think that that's part of the, the deal, right, is, is removing that othering that happens about under typically underrepresented groups, right? Like changing representation isn't about highlighting them as other. It's about being inclusive and making them a part of that mainstream flow. And, and I'm very interested to see how this industry progresses in that space. I think that there's also the piece of it from you know, from an advocacy point of view, that is insane. This isn't weird. But to me, that's what that that article felt like, and where you were coming from was saying a black-owned cigar company isn't a weird idea. Like it's been done before. There are a bunch of them. Yeah, to me, I was like, you go. Here's five companies that also happen to be owned by you know people who identify as, as black. <laughs> you know, it wasn't even, it wasn't, I mean, that's, that's my life every day. So it wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't anything weird. So some of the comments that we got, I was like, I was, you know, I don't think people know that I, I usually see all the comments, especially when it comes through emails, because it's just like a no reply email. But, you know, I read through just to make sure nothing weird is, is going on. But 
you know, some of the questions I was like, they, I mean, the, my name was at the bottom of the articles. I was like, they could easily look me up and it has my Instagram thing and they will see that this wasn't just a random, you know, person writing this article. It was, it was somebody who kind of knows, you know, a little bit about, <laughs> about You're not only black on Thursdays. I know exactly. <laughs> so I was like, it's, it's somebody who knows a little bit about it. So, you know, the, the fun thing about, you know, being in the industry is like, as I get out a little bit more and I do more of these videos and I do, you know, podcasts and this and that, you know, people do get to know me. And then, like you said, sometimes they're like, oh, there is a minority. I was like, you know, uh, like, yeah, but there, you know, there are lots of us out there. You know, there's there's you, there's Erica, there's Amy who, who do the, the TLE podcast. TLE so podcast, like, they rock. Right. And I was like, there's so many of us. There's, you know, Val, who, who I don't know if you know, but she's like Cigar Her. She, she does like a lot of the bourbon and, and whiskey and, you know, pairing stuff. She's like, you know, she's like this awesome woman who knows her stuff and she's so passionate about the industry. So there's, this industry is like, it, it is diverse. It's just like, sometimes I guess we, we all kind of get intimidated because we, we think we're in this mindset of that we don't know how to present ourselves. And I didn't know how to present myself a couple of years ago on social media. And so I was just like, I'm just going to, I mean, you know, people are going to like me or they, they're, they're not, I mean, they're not, I don't, you know, I don't get paid to be an influencer. It's just, that's just who I am. And I just use my platform to get people's stories out there. So again, like you'll kind of see a, a run of a gamut. You'll, you'll see me if I find a cigar or if somebody sends me a cigar, you know, Sometimes without me even trying it, I'll just take a picture of it just to kind of share like, hey, this person has a, a great product. I have a stack of products to take pictures of, you know, for next week. And you'll see that. And I like to, to use my platform just to help people get the word out, you know, and I like to use my platform sometimes just to have to have fun and show. Have hey, fun. Right. Like I'm, I've spent twenty five dollars on this vinyl record or, hey, I'm using this face mask or I just spent money on this this thing so i think we all just have to get a little bit more comfortable putting ourselves out there maybe that's the theme of this podcast is vulnerability and just being a lot more vulnerable and, and open and not being afraid that you know you need to be authentic though i think that's the key too you can't yep. <laughs> don't try to be something you're not so don't like you know you'll never see me you know with the shades on and the the business suit outside of a trade show usually it's it's me in a t-shirt or a polo and you know i'm hanging out you know just getting these stories done and reaching out to people and getting stuff set up so you know i mean i think that it's it's interesting so i i can speak to my experience in developing that vulnerability and being willing to share that and interest instagram has been a big part of that for me mm -hmm. you know uh, and i've been a cigar guy for forever i started smoking cigars but that was not on the forefront of my public persona. You know, right. I, I was taught, so to speak, particularly, and, and you said something interesting about the way these cigar, you, you identify these cigar brands. Like I was taught to be a man in business who happens to be black. And now I feel like there's been a shift in the last 10 years for sure really concentrated in the last four that being a black man in business is a different thing 
and being a you know part of what's been important for me part of what i'm grateful for you and sharing your story is that i think the media as a whole not through necessarily any malice uh, at least not recently hasn't known how to share stories about successful black people mm-hmm. and hasn't had access to successful black people outside of the sports and entertainment complex. And I think that now we're starting to see more and more mainstream stories of people who look like you and I, who have developed a level of success, wherever that is, whatever that means for you on your own terms, in order to create the life they want. And it's not inside of some blueprint and it's not stuck you know, having to be twice as good for half as much or, or, or any of that stuff that we've all heard, right? Yeah. You know, do you, do you feel you. like we're seeing a shift there? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like stream no, of I, consciousness here. But. You know, it's, it's to me, my experience is that, you know, I'm, I don't know. To me, it, it's, I just have to be myself. I think I've had so much success when I finally am myself, that it it, it works for people or it, it, people can connect with that. Um, you know, like I said, being a black person in business, um, you know, like when I'm at a media event, um, that stuff doesn't matter. I mean, they just get to know me and it, it helps. And I think each of us are an, an advocate. And I think it was you I told, you know, through, that, you know, DMs one time. It's like we each have a platform, and I think we have to use that platform to just be ourselves, but to because but to play as an advocate to the people around us. Because you know, I think of me growing up. You know, I went to um, a pretty. I mean, I went to a school that was, you know, pretty white. I mean, you know, pretty Caucasian Same. back in the eighties. <laughs> back in the eighties is, you know, elementary school. Um, it was on a very good part of town. And I remember my parents were very uh, adamant about me going to this, you know, this school because it was not in our neighborhood. Um, but, you know, and I think of all the, the experience that I, I've had, you know, and I've always been like the, the weird, the weird kid because I've never fit into any real category. You know, I'm, I've never, there's, there's never, you know, there's always the, the stereotype of what they, they think and they get to know me and I'm like completely different. And I think that's that's good because they they didn't know. They like, wow, there's people out there who are different, you know, um, and I'm I don't try to hide who I am. And you, you can, you know, they're, you know, like if, we're, if I'm in the office, for example, you know, I'm always listening to music and it's not always like weird rap music there's are some rap songs that i like and i'll you know they're there they play on there but there's also you know i'm i'm a black person who listens to like dolly parton and reba mcintyre and britney spears and madonna and uh aerosmith and bon jovi so it's just like you know and people think they, they learn that about me and they go oh my gosh like you know you listen to all that stuff i was like yeah like why not you know like it's you know, music right <laughs> You know, TV shows, like, I'm not, you know, I don't sit around watching BET all day. Like, uh, you know, I, I watch, you know, I watch 
a, a, a gamut of shows. I watched The View and Rachel Ray. I mean, I'm a, a big Rachel Ray fan. People are like, Rachel Ray? I'm like, yeah, like I record Rachel Ray every day. Like that's just, the, <laughs> you know, that's just the kind of person I am. But that's like, I, I like to let people in because they, I think that you need to know that people aren't all the same. Like we don't all think the same. We don't all act the same. And I think when you know that and you see different, you hear these conversations like this, um, you know, then you, you start to look at the world a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, I think people, in my experience as well, are surprised often by how similar we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I joked for a while, I had a, a studio and we had this, this, uh, I, I ran a marketing company and we had a little gallery space in our, our office. And I joked for a while that we should do this installation and, and do a, have a conversation with a black person installation. I'd just be like, oh my God, you go to Starbucks? I go to Starbucks too. <laughs> uh, because like when you start looking at the map in America, and this is where I'm, being having a marketing background and having a, a perspective on analytics. You look at the map of America and I, I read Ibram X. Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. One of the things he talked about was if America was divided homogeneously, where all the neighborhoods were representative of the percentage of people in America, the black people in America would see 12 people that were not black before they saw another black person if America was just spread out so that everybody was equal based on how many of us there are. And when you think about the inverse of that, right, you think about what that means for white people in America, there are a lot of white people who haven't experienced conversations with black people. No, they, they, they're not, you know, but it's, but we sometimes have to start that conversation too. We have to like, no doubt. Sometimes we're we're stuck in our little corner just as well. So, like I said, for me, it's like always about being being vulnerable, being open. You know, telling, getting to know people, and and that's why I've liked social media because a couple of years ago, I mean, I would never have had my own kind of social media base like editor read like I have right now. That just wouldn't have occurred to me. I kind of like being mysterious and in the background, but I found in business that didn't really help because, you know, people, um, they, they didn't know who I was and they didn't, you know, they, they needed to know who, who I was to, to open that conversation. And once they kind of see, you know, that's why, you know, when I go out you know, to the events from pre pandemic, um, you know, I will take pictures with the different people to say, Hey, I know this person. And that kind of opens, cause they like, Oh, I guess this guy is okay because he he knows you know it's, that's just how how it is. Part of how it is, and this is and it's and it's also about keeping that conversation open. Like I hate sometimes like when we get to the point where we just reach out to somebody when we need something um, or we want something from them, and sometimes it's important just to to get in the habit of just dropping in on people and just saying, "Hey, you know, what's up? Like, what are you doing? Like, how how are you? Hope you." Hope you're dealing with this pandemic as, as well as I am and, and keeping up that, com that you know, that, this kind of conversation. Um, and then I think they always, especially when you get a, a message like that, you're like, what does this person want? And when 
that's it and they just want to check it on you, then to me that that helps build a, a real relationship. You know, I mean, all the business is about relationships. Like all life. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it is. It's it's about relationships. And I think that's that's part of what I what I mean is I think it's it falls on us as well to go create relationships in spaces where we're underrepresented. And also right. our culture is super interesting for that because you know, you go to certain cigar clubs and, and certain cigar lounges in different communities. And I've been to cigar lounges where there's nobody who looks like me. And I've been to cigar lounges where almost everybody looks like me. Yep. And the conversations are no different. The experiences are incredibly similar. And in most cases, you know, I mean, there's there are one or two places I could say that I've been where I felt a little bit like the odd man out, but it's pretty rare. Like this is a super accepting industry. And I think that once you get in the room with people and you start having conversations and start being two people in space, you know, all that other stuff goes out the window. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see you sharing more of your story and being more visible in your brain for others of us in the community who I do feel like for a long time haven't seen ourselves in the press. Yeah, you know, I'm reading this book by the woman who was like the first African-American editor at Teen Vogue. So it's a really interesting book because she has completely different experiences than most of us. Um, And plus, you know, it's just an interesting read. Um, You know, she wrote this, this, um, the sentence that opens one of the the chapters is like, you know, I'm my ancestors wildest dreams. Like, you know, since I read that, it's resonated with me thinking like, you know, you know, one of my ancestors, I was like, this thing, you know, that would they ever think that, you know, I've made a whole career right now out of writing stories and telling people stories. And I had this platform, you know, platform like Instagram and, and Facebook where, you know, hundreds, you know, I can have hundreds of people follow me or follow what I do and I can put out a story and that story can resonate and get, you know, so many page views or whatever, or I could put out an Instagram picture and it gets 200 likes, which isn't a lot for some people, but for me, it's just like, like people care that much, you know, even 85 for me is sometimes I'm like, really? Like a non-cigar picture? So to have that platform, and that's why I, I tell people, you know, what's so important is like having this platform and everybody has a platform. You, it may not be as grand as somebody else's next to you, but you kind of have to put your blinders on because we all get caught up in the whole, you know, oh, this person has 11,000 followers. You don't know if they really have 11,000 followers or if it's fluffed, you know. Uh-huh. But, you know, if you have 10 followers, you know, you could make such an a impression and um, just impact just kind of preaching to those 10 people. And that's why I, ever t- I always tell people, because there's some people who are like, oh, we have a, you know, 300 followers or I only, you know, I don't really know how to use Facebook. You know, I'm not important enough to be on Instagram. Nobody wants to see what my food is for the day. And I'm like, it's not that at all. Like it's about building, it's relationship building. It's, it's about building up those relationships, getting, you know, 
I was treating it like a game sometimes. Like, how many people can you get to follow you? And then how can, how can you keep up with those people, you know, throughout the year? So, you know, I think, you know, I think back to, I quote her a lot in this thing, but, you know, Oprah, you know, she has this conversation. She said one time with Maya Angelou about, oh, I'm, I'm worried about my legacy or I don't know what my legacy would be. And, and Maya Angelou is like, child, you'll never know what your legacy, you know, will, will be. You know, your legacy is each person that you've, you know, touched in your life or you've encountered and you have a different impression on them and, you know, how you change their mentality, that's your legacy. So you'll never know what your legacy will be. So I've even stopped asking that, that question of people because that used to be my favorite question. When do you think your legacy is going to be? But I'm always curious about, you know, I think I've asked that of Carlos Fuente and, and, and other people, like, what do you think your legacy is going to be? That, that was my go-to question. And I don't really ask it that much because I'm like, you know, I think of that my Angelo bit and saying, you know, we don't know. And that's, that's the saying I say to you and to everybody listening and, and such, like, you don't know what your legacy is going to be. So, you know, don't downplay your, your, your platform and don't downplay your skill sets and your circle of friends and what you do it, you know, work-wise, because it's easily one, you know, it's like a butterfly effect. One person can easily kind of set off a, a chain reaction that you have no idea. You can inspire somebody to do something great that had you not you know had you kept your your mouth shut or kept to yourself they never would have been inspired to to do something you couldn't you couldn't say a better thing (laughs) i think there's so few people who recognize their power and and their influence and the long reaching effects of the small things, right? That we can all do. And it's, I'm grateful to hear you share that because I think that, you know, most people see you and the work you do and see others in the media as existing in this like rarefied air that are so far away from where they are today and are so separated from what their everyday life is. But it's not like you were there overnight either. That at one point you were that guy that was just happy to get a job, didn't pay to make gardening magazine. Look, I tell people like I and so many of successful people that I know, we've all started, like you said, nobody starts at the top. <laughs> it's usually not a good, it doesn't last. Like you, you fall apart at some point. Um, you know, but we start all started at the bottom. Like I said, I was making crazy, a crazy low amount as an art director at a gardening magazine. And I just made that work for, for, I said I was going to just write it out to the end, and I did. And, you know, I got this other job, and I I wrote that out, and, you know, another opportunity came along, and I just took that opportunity, and, you know, I I wasn't able to start where I thought I should start, but I started kind of, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole there and just built my way back up, so – Everybody has to start somewhere. So, and usually we have more, we have several different starts and several different ends. So you just have to kind of be willing to kind of uh, fall apart and build yourself back up. And usually when you build yourself back up, you're, you're going to build yourself back up to even better than what you were when you started. And this is, this, it's a big, 
story arc. So people just have to hang in there. I don't know where we can go from here. This is going to be better. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate you and, and your time today. This has been fantastic. Uh, Thank you. This is, this is everything I could hope for out of, out of an interview. And, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing some of your story and talking about some of the difficult things that, that we've been through, some of the difficult things in the cigar industry right now, and, and just yep. being a human in, in this time. So thank no you for that. On. Uh, parting shot, I'll ask this because one of the things I like to ask most of our guests, and it's going to come back to the, the cigar topic, something that's maybe applicable for, for anybody listening. Two things. One, what cigar is the cigar that you have gifted more often than any other cigar? The one that you want to send something to somebody and say, you've got to try this. What cigar is that for you? Uh -huh. I guess I'm greedy because I really can't think of any cigars that I've gifted to people. Oh, come on. You you have like that cigar that you, you give to somebody who you when you know somebody really well and you know that they'll, they'll appreciate something. What's what are you what are you saying? You got to try this. But, well, the one that I've been recommending to people like for the last couple of months since I've tried it has been the new Avo Classic Maduro. Like I tried mm -hmm. it in February uh, at a at a special kind of get together that Davidoff was having in um, in Hollywood, Florida. And um and I tried it and you know, usually I try, like I said, I try so many cigars that sometimes I'm like, mm, that was pretty good. But I have like no inclination to ever go back and <laughs> and really like smoke it again or, you know, buy a box or whatever. So that was like the one cigar that really stuck out because it was such an easy smoke. And it was so like I say, it was so well constructed and put together. And it was a blend that you could I like blends that don't overpower you so your mouth doesn't feel like an ashtray afterwards. Uh -huh. and, and you can have a conversation without like getting choked up into like a, you know, coughing fit and all that kind of nasty stuff that happens sometimes when a cigar is really strong. So the Avo Classic Maduro is the one that I've been like really pushing to people a lot lately. Okay. And then second, whether it's cigar related or just general life related in the last 60 days, 90 days, whatever, what thing have you acquired for under a hundred bucks that has been like really significant and that has improved your quality of life? Whether again, whether that's cigar related or if it's just like some, a new needle for your record player, like what's, what's, what's that for you? That I have acquired, I'm looking around and I'm like, what's, you know, you know what? Like, really, I'm looking at my switch right now, uh -huh. and that has gotten me through this COVID nineteen thing because it's giving me something else to concentrate on. Um, and I know the games for it are out uh, under a hundred dollars, so <laughs> a lot of for for it have whether it's Animal Crossing or um, Paper Mario, Origami, something, and um, Breath of the Wild. Those three games each are under a hundred dollars and they've been like, what has uh, helped me, like I said, maintain some kind of uh, balance work, you know, work and play balance, I would say, because usually without having to commute, I mean, I'm, I'm here all the time. So I've switched over at about five, you know, five, six, seven o'clock and I'm like, I'm ready. 
And I, I was like, get get in there and spend a couple of hours trying to trying to to play this game like a, a youth and, <laughs> and and trying to get in that mentality sometimes. But it's been it's been fun to kind of with everything that's going on lately, have something that's a little bit light <laughs> that you can kind of focus on that's not, you know, serious. So I would say that I was gonna say I just acquired a, a new um, vinyl collection, but I think that's under, I think that's well over a hundred. So wait, wait, you acquired a new collection? Yes. A, a, a collection of vinyls. I haven't even opened it yet. I'll look. So this is my prize collection right now. So it's my ABBA collection. <laughs> you got the ABBA box set. I did. So it has all these different vinyls in it. And I, when I saw that they that the group said they were going to release this, and I was like, I gotta buy it, and I ordered it, and I spent so much money on on vinyl. I tell people it's it's crazy, but that that right there has been my my prize my prize possession um, of the week. I have so many like some vinyls. I'm sitting here looking at them right now. I've I've spent so much on vinyl that it's crazy. No, nah, I mean that's it, it's vinyl is a, an addiction. I, I, I fought it for a long time and I finally gave in a couple years ago but my collection is super weird uh, no but that's good because mine is weird too I tell people like I don't know what people expect from a vinyl collection period right now but I'm, I'm pretty sure that like I tell people it, it reflects it's like my iPod exploded into a, a vinyl collection so like right now I can see like I have a I have Beyonce's B Day on vinyl on top. I just listened to that a couple of weeks ago, and I have like Taylor Swift Lover album and like a Celine Dion one. You know, this like crazy, this a, a crazy collection. I have I've been doing this Britney Spears collection thing um, through Urban Outfitters to get all the vinyls from that. So um, Reba McIntyre. I know I just spent um, money on. Um, Gwen Stefani's like something anniversary of, of her Love Angel Music Baby album. Oh, nice. Um, that was a good um, record. You know, um, the Lady Gaga uh, fame and fame monster. I, I spent money on to order that. You know, to me, it's, it's a fun. I like being an artsy person. And you probably are the same way, you know, being able to interact with, with your work. And it's not just on a screen. <laughs> And yeah, there's a pick up the album and listen to the whole album without. I mean, it's, you can skip around on a vinyl, but it's so much work. I mean, you're just like lift the needle, lift it down. Like it's just like you're just like I'm just gonna listen to the whole thing. So it's like something that's like in the background, and it's just a fun to me. It's like a fun thing to kind of just like play around with and and just have. So yeah, I mean, I think that the vinyl listening experience is so different than the, the iPod listening experience and, and it's I was just having this conversation on, on the last episode that I recorded talking about how the cigar experience in my opinion is actually a lot like what the record store experience used to be and it's one of the few places where that still exists in the, the, the brick and mortar spaces you used to go into a record store and it would be a hey I'm looking for these things and it, it still happens they're just they're not 
as prevalent as they used to be. And it's not everybody's experience. More of an enthusiasm right. kind of thing now. And you got your list. And maybe they have it. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have something else. And they say, well, if you like that, you might like this. And you find something that you never would have known to ask. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think in the cigar space, it's similar. You go in and you say, well, I heard about this cigar. I want to try it. And they say, oh, I've had that cigar. You should have to have this cigar and this cigar because they have these similar properties and you might dig it. Or because, you know, this blender did this cigar for this company, but they also did this cigar for this other company. And if you like that cigar, you might like this cigar when, you know, you never would have thought of picking something up from that, that particular brand. But but there's that overlap, right? It's, it's kind of like... You know, when you find records produced by Rick Rubin, they're all over the all over the map in terms of category and genre. But I have yet to, to find anything he produced that I don't enjoy. Yeah, see, I'm like that with a lot of people, um, a lot of producers. But like, I like Diplo. He does a Diplo's lot. amazing. Lots of just fun stuff. And I read this article on him a couple months ago. I think like maybe two months ago, he was on the cover of Billboard magazine. And he was talking about how he he reinvents himself, just like Madonna. And he said he has different personalities. And I was like, oh yeah, I was like he yeah. kind of does. I never really, I never took notes until I read that article. And just getting into that creative space and learning how people like him kind of handle it. Like he has, you know, he doesn't fit. He doesn't just get stuck in one genre or one mindset. He lets himself. If he wants to do a country album, he creates a persona and he follows he that follows that out and he plays that out and he might put that persona to the side and go back to like what he's known for and he said that's just how he is and he said that's something that he he kind of picked up from uh, Madonna he said he just learned you can never stay the same you gotta always evolve and reinvent yourself so that's how I kind of handle my media stuff right now like you have to continually evolve so just rather than just being known for magazines you know doing interviews with people over Instagram live. I mean, it sometimes it makes you nervous and you're like, Oh, like really, uh, you know, like, am I going to be able to, to keep this a conversation going for an hour without any like stops or awkwardness and all that kind of stuff. But you just have to kind of push through it because it's just, people need to, to see you and hear from you in a different way. You got to reinvent. This, this has been a pleasure. I have enjoyed your, your reinvention of, yourself and your brand uh and, and being a part of watching it and i i will stay tuned as it continues and i hope that uh that our listeners will as well real quick before we go where can where can our listeners find you on instagrams uh when do you do your instagram lives so that people can watch you know you're gonna give us the plug yeah so i guess for, for first i'll plug the magazine because that's always like that's that's the real platform so tobacco business, um, so we're on Instagram. You can just type in tobacco biz online. Um, we're on Twitter, but who uses Twitter these days? <laughs> we're on like Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. And then of course the website, which is tobaccobusiness.com. It has links to all of those. So that's the main plug. And then there's Cigars and Leisure, cigarsandleisure.com. Same thing, has a plug to everything. Uh, me personally, uh, I'm very active on on Instagram a lot. so. Um, editor dot or period read R-E-I-D. That's how you can follow me on uh, Instagram and I'm on Facebook. So I usually share, I have a work account and I have a personal account. So 
look for the the one <laughs> look for the, the the one in me in like a, a pink salmon um like jacket because that's my work account and you'll get like all like the the industry because if you go to the other one then you're going to get a whole bunch of like reba mcintyre updates and stuff that you probably don't want <laughs> so, so i have to tell people that because people find both and i'm just like you found you found what you found so you're in for you're in for a treat you know commentary on big brother um you know uh, commentary on the, the latest star trek episode and weird stuff that you're just probably like what's he talking about so there is like a, a business <laughs> as a business facebook that kind of uh, it's more limited and there's like a, a more playful one so find whatever which choose your own adventure um but, but that's it and then I, I did create a website for deep cuts which is my instagram live kind of interview stuff that i do sometimes so that's deepcutslive.com and um usually if you follow me on editor.read you'll see that i'll post whenever i'm getting ready to do one of these interviews so that's that's all you need to, to know to to get in touch with me and i'm pretty open and you can all like I said, you can DM me or email me. My Instagram has my email attached to it, so I answer. I bat most most people unless it's really crazy. So <laughs> maybe in our, our next conversation, we'll talk about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Antoine, and thank you for listening. Since this recording, Deep Cuts Live has released 35 episodes in its first season. Antoine's articles in Cigars and Leisure and in Tobacco Business continue to share stories about the people we love in this amazing industry, including Matt Booth, founder of Room 101 Cigars, Sean Williams, brand ambassador for Cohiba, and Eric Wembley Bay, founder of Black Star Line Cigars. Don't forget to check out www.cigarnivorepodcast.com where you'll find show notes for this and every episode, including links and descriptions for all the cigars discussed, links to Antoine's five Black-owned cigar brands to watch, and a few bonus resources on Black-owned cigar brands. Thanks again for listening, and stay ashy, my friends. Yeah.